July 1st, 1867, the Ottawa Citizen posted a poem, and I want to read parts of the poem to you, the beginning part and the last verse. It says this, Not in pride the firm foundations of an empire we lay, trusting in the God of nations we would keep our natal day, trusting in that sacred promise made to all those who believe, will not now be rest from us. Ask ye, and ye shall receive. Ardent souls today are moving, heaven with prayers for this dear land, men whose hearts go forth in loving every pebble on its strand. From New Brunswick seawash harbors rolls the prayerful wavelet on through the wilds and sunny arbors of far Saskatchewan. Hear us then, mysterious power. God, whom all earth shall own, make this auspicious hour. Lay for us our cornerstone. Lift thy hands in blessing over us. Bless us, Lord, from sea to sea, pointing to the hopes before us and the future yet to be. Today belongs to God. He hath laid our broad foundations, leaving us to build thereon. Lo, we stand among the nations. God, our living cornerstone. Isn't that an awesome poem? Written for January 1st, 1867, 150 years ago. July, sorry. What did I say? January. July 1st, thank you for that correction. Uh, you know, who is the cornerstone mentioned in the Bible? Jesus Christ. He's, he's called the living cornerstone in the Bible in, in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 20. That's the book we've been looking at. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. This is the foundation that our forefathers wanted to lay for Canada. They wanted to build a country on Christian principles. Uh, the supremacy of God is recognized in the historic founding principles of Canada. Under the official picture of the founding fathers uh, of confederation, the words are inscribed. Providence being their guide. They built a better than they knew. Do you know what providence is? It's God's guiding power. That's what it, by God's guiding power, they built better than they knew. 150 years ago, fathers of confederation assembled to discuss the terms and conditions of confederation and the drafting of the British North American Act. There have been considerable discussion about what we, they should call the new United Canada. Um, and the discussion was laid over to the next day. It was kind of tabled. And uh, as his custom were, was, Sir, Robert, or Sir Leonard Tilley read a chapter from the Bible the next morning. In that particular morning, he read Psalm 72. The psalm is a messianic psalm prophesying about Jesus Christ. And when Sir Leonard read verse 8... He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. He said, ah, dominion. And he gave, what a splendid name to give Canada. And he brought it to the committee the next day. And I believe God's hand was moving in this man's heart as he brought that suggestion that we be called the dominion of Canada. You know, Canada Day used to be called Dominion Day. And it's really a reference to the, the rule of Jesus Christ over this land. 
The first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, sent a letter to the Queen of England explaining why the Fathers of Confederation wanted to call the new nation the Dominion of Canada. He explained that the word dominion was taken directly from Psalm 72, verse 8, and that the name was a tribute to the principles they earnestly desired to uphold. And so Canada remains today a dominion under the sovereignty of God. Today, if you go to the Peace Tower, if you look on the west side of the, of the Peace Tower building, you will find these words inscribed in stone above the window. Uh, and he shall have dominion from sea to sea. This country in which we live is founded on the premacy, supremacy of God, a spiritual heritage. And so I would challenge us of the present day to take a hold of that heritage and wear it with pride and challenge our world and stand on guard for the righteousness and the supremacy of God in this land. Many of you weren't born in Canada and uh, my ancestors weren't born here either. In fact, my ancestors fell in love with Canada when they saw Canadian tanks and troops rolling across the polder of the Netherlands, coming to free them from the tyranny of the uh, Nazis. And that's etched forever in my parents' and my grandparents' minds. And that's why they immigrated to this land, to find a land of freedom, to escape tyranny. Young men from this, this country gave their lives fighting for freedom in my ancestors' country. And so I want to ask you today, are you willing to give your life for this country's benefit, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the, the uh, dominion of Jesus Christ over this land? And that is really what my call today is all about. It's about standing on guard for Canada. Because it's not our military only that stands on guard for this country. But it's every soul who loves Canada and wants the best for Canada. We're called to stand on guard for this country in many different ways. We're called to stand on guard that, this can that Canada would remain a dominion under the cornerstone, the living cornerstone or above the living cornerstone, that the foundation would not be moved, that the words would not be erased from our parliament building. In the words of Louis, Louis uh, Frontenac, as for me, I shall esteem myself happy in consecrating all my efforts, and if need be, my life itself, to extending the empire of Jesus Christ throughout this land. <laughs> I'm really emotional when it comes to Canada. <laughs> Sheesh. Pull it together, Bill. Ay, ay, ay. In 1980, parliamentary session. 1980, this is not that long ago. I remember 1980. I was just graduated from high school, I was going off to Bible college. 1980, parliamentary session. The National Anthem Act added the prayer, God, keep our land glorious and free. That's not that long ago. Today, they would never do that. But 37 years ago, 
I was part of what they did. And the third verse of O Canada continued another prayer that we sang earlier. Ruler supreme, who hears humble prayer. Hold our dominion in the loving care. Help us to find, O God, in the lasting rich reward. As we wait for a better day, we ever stand on guard. O Canada, glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Many of you were at Parliament yesterday. You probably didn't get close enough to the Parliament building to read what it says right on the front of the Parliament building, right above the main doorway. You know what it says? Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness to the king's son. The east side, as I mentioned earlier, has Psalm 72, verse 8. The west side, Proverbs 29, verse 18. If you go down underneath the peach, peach Peace Tower into the memorial chamber. What do you find there? You find carved in marble a plaque, French and English, Psalm 139, verse 8 to 10. If you go around that, that uh, there's a, a very large book in the middle of the room. You've probably been in there. And all around that book, around the edge of the, uh, in, like it's, it's uh, what's brass. It's a brass outline around that book. It's almost like an altar. And the words of Ephesians are written. Ephesians um, 5, verse 12 to 17 are written all around that. It's the armor of God. Stained glass windows in that room. Man, I'm going to lose it today many times. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Hey, hey, hey. The stained glass windows in that room have the words from 1 Corinthians 15, 57, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Nahum 1, verse 7, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Psalms 18, verse 39, and Psalm 46, 9, and Psalm 94, 15. You can go check it out later. The entrance to that room, there is a, a picture of the angel, a scribing angel. And you know what that angel is doing? He's writing in the names into the Lamb's book of life. And it's as if it's saying, I sure hope your names are written in the Lamb's book of life before you give your life for Canada in the memorial chamber. It's amazing. The House of Commons has the four creatures from Revelation and Ezekiel carved in stone in the foyer. The bell tower, there's 53 bells. You know what the 53rd bell says? Inscribed right on it. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. Who announced that? The angels at the coming of Christ. And the bell tower in our national capital has that inscribed on the last bell. There are over 20 verses of scripture etched in stone in our parliament building. What an awesome heritage. Where'd this heritage come from? Well, it came from way back, way back before even history records. Uh, remember Leif Erikson? Heard of him? Yeah, it wasn't Christ Christopher Columbus, to the first uh, European to set foot on North America uh, or of any of the Americas. It was Leif Erikson, a Norseman. And he came to Canada, 
and he shared the gospel with the natives. And in fact, they have found a, a little statue carving of a Norseman in uh, Iceland, and he has a, a cross on his, on his breastplate. And this little carving, they believe, is from the, possibly the 11th or 12th century. <laughs> That's a long time ago, long before Christopher, Christopher Columbus discovered America. Um, but he preached to the, the Indians when he got here. The, um, the official discovery of, Ca of uh, Canada was given to John Cabot, who in 1497 claimed it for God and for England. Jacques Cartier sailed up St. Lawrence, founded Montreal. He, in the company of Indians, all knelt down and raised their hands towards heaven, yielding their thanks to God. Jacques Cartier gives a compelling testimony that the native Indians of his day were responding to the gospel that he taught from the gospel of John. In a biography of uh, Samuel, Samuel Champlain, founder of New, New France and Quebec City, Champ it says, Champlain's relationship with the Indians was an unparalleled success. The Indians to Champlain were not exploitable savages, but men in need of God and his grace gave clear testimony of the gospel. Sir de Mons, a French Huguenot businessman, and some Jesuit priests uh, were preaching the gospel to the Huron Indians, uh, but they were all massacred. And I'm shocked that a Huguenot was working with Jesuit priests side by side proclaiming the gospel to the, the, mission, to the Indians. To me, that's awesome. The Huguenots, if you know history, the Huguenots in the Catholic Church were mm, kind of at odds. That they were kind of killing each other. And here they were working together to spread the gospel in Canada. Jean Beboeuf, you might have heard of him. He said these words, My God, my Savior, I take from thy hand the cup of thy suffering. I vow never to fail thee in the grace of martyrdom, if by thy mercy thou dost offer it to me. Can you, read, can you say those words? Those are powerful words. I bind myself, and when I have received the stroke of death, I will accept it from thy gracious hand, with all pleasure and with the joy in my heart, to thee my blood, my body, and my life. The crazy thing is, is that he lived out those words. And I cannot describe the torture that he endured for four hours at the hands of the Indians in, in uh, the Heronian Indians. Four hours they, well, I won't describe it because it'll give you nightmares. But it was the most brutal torture I've ever heard of, of anyone being given to martyrdom. And they say that the Indians who martyred him were so impressed with the courage and the power of God resting on him as he died that at the end of his, his torture, they cut out his heart and drank his blood because they wanted to have the courage that this man showed. And from that day on, hundreds, yea, thousands of the Huronians gave their lives to Christ because of what they saw. And Jean Barboff, as he gave his life for Christianity in this country.
stories of revival and the Holy Spirit coming uh, are all, all through our, our early history. When Kingston only had a thousand inhabitants, very small, uh, first uh, uh, capital of Canada, they had a revival meeting there. You know how many people showed up of, of those thousand people? Well, 2,500. <laughs> They showed up. And at that revival meeting, the Holy Spirit came down so powerfully that it said that six people were raised from the dead. Now, I don't have the details on that, but that's what I read in a book. It's wild. We think that, you know, like revival came in the Midwest in, you know, in the 70s. Well, it's been around for a while in this country. Uh, and missionaries, Jesuits, Moravians, Baptists, were founders of this great country. George Brown, the founder of the Golden Globe and Mail. John Scratchin, Anglican Bishop of Toronto and founder of Ontario's school system. Or Ergeson Ryerson, founder of the public school system across the country and also a Methodist preacher. Uh, Sir F Sanford Fleming, inventor of Standard Time. William Howland, mayor of Toronto. Oliver Mowat, Timothy Eaton, who championed the shortened workday Holiday pay, welfare, and pensions. Timothy Eaton. Uh, Nellie McClung. Uh, George Vanier. All strong believers. Louis Riel. Strong believer. Ernest Manning. Long-standing premier. Tagleg Curley. Father of Nunavut. Uh, and even Stephen Harper. All men of God. Wanting to make Canada a Christian country. And so I read from e Hebrews. Because this challenges me. When I hear of all these people, these big names from our history that everybody knows, and knowing that they're all believers, all desiring that Canada be a place where God is honored. I read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What race has God marked out for you in this country? What's God right? What, if you don't even know the race you're in, how are you going to run it? What's God called you to do? Preach the gospel to your neighbors, to your colleagues, to your friends. Maybe get involved in political arena. I don't know. But God has a race marked out specifically for you. And he calls us to run with perseverance. When you hear of these men from the past who gave their lives for the gospel in Canada. And then it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. The, this race that God is calling us to run here in Canada, it's not just a foot race. It's a death race. It's a race, race that's going to cost us a lot to run. It may cost us some of our freedoms. It might cost us financially when we get fined for sharing the gospel in the future. I don't know. But it's going to cost us something. But remember, Jesus Christ went before us 
And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I've shared this little history lesson so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Because there are sinful men, and they are opposing us here in Canada. And that is very true. And so I want to move, move from Canada's Christian history to Canada's current crisis. Because there's a crisis in Canada. Seems every day there's a new attack on morality in Canada. We see Christians being fined and even jailed for standing against homosexuality. We see public opinion overwhelmingly in favor of abortion. Overwhelmingly in favor of homosexuality. We see it public opinion overwhelmingly in favor of the gay lifestyle, of actually the immoral lifestyle. Premarital sex is assumed. Friends with benefits is an incredibly common thing in our high school. Gender sw switching is all the rage. People are just like, oh yeah, that's so cool. And people are encouraging and supporting and, and, and challenging each other to change their genders. Morality has simply been dumped in our Canadian culture as something that's long ago and that's something of the past. We don't need to deal with it. But worse than that, worse than the fact that morality has been dumped, it's the fact when Christians say something about morality that has become a hate crime in this country. And the rights of the minors who are uh, the, the, the minor group, minors? Minority, thank you. <laughs> I knew there was a word in there somewhere. The minorities uh, where, who, who relish their immorality are being held higher than those who would want to fight against that. And so we will increasingly become uh, demonized, basically, for ho holding up to biblical truths. That's the worst problem. Those who speak out against immorality are vilified in our media, in our courts, everywhere. Intolerance of immorality has become a hate crime in Canada. It's like a flood of immorality that's pouring into our beloved Canada. It's just like, it, it almost feels like you're trying to stop it with a cheesecloth, you know? <laughs> like, you know, back in Holland, they had the little boy with his thumb in the dike, you know? But now the dike's already broken, and, and we're trying to hold up, you know, cheesecloth against it. That's what it feels like to me. Um, Ontario elected Kathleen Wynne, Canada's first openly gay premier, and with the result of a massive homosexual agenda being introduced into our school system so that children, very young, will be introduced to the concepts of, of gay and gay marriage and all that stuff in the school curriculum. You know, if nothing changes, my yet-to-be-born grandchildren will grow up in a, in a society where gender ambiguity is completely the norm, completely accepted and taught as fact much the same way that evolution is taught today. 
We see Justin Trudeau being elected, who has supported the legal, legalization of marijuana, is the first prime minister to attend a gay parade, not only by himself, but with his family. Church membership is on decline. Belief in God has been in, in decline for, for decades. The church is growing weary and losing heart because of these things. They feel like they're trying to hold back the tide with the cheesecloth. So what you going to do? What you going to do? Are you going to run the race? You're just going to give up and go, oh, it's not, it's, this cheesecloth thing's not working, and it's just going to flood. And I wonder if maybe I should move to Mexico. <laughs> it's warmer there, at least. So this morning, I want to remind you that this is our country. This is my country. We live in a democracy founded on God as the cornerstone. And I want to remind you of that. And this is, because this is my Canada, I stand on guard for her, for her morality. I will not sit idly by while the forces of darkness just overwhelm us, buoyed by the sinful nature trying to destroy my country. This is my Canada. True north, strong and free. May God keep our land glorious and free. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Amen? Amen. So I want to just share a little bit of what God has put on my heart and on other people's heart in our congregation. And it's my Canada's future. That's what I've entitled it. And I'm going to ask Elisa to come. Elisa called me the other day, and she met with Dave and I. And she had a word from the Lord for us. And, and uh, she, she shared for two hours with us. <laughs> and so uh, both Dave and I said, can you pare that down to, to just a succinct thought? And so she's here to share those thoughts with us. So God's put a burden on your heart. Can you just share briefly what, what it is, Lisa? So uh, Pastor Bill has talked about the race. Um, and for a long time growing up in the church, We've only seen, I've only seen the race from the walls of the church. And about 10 years ago, God gave me a huge discomfort and annoyance with, um, not with the church, but being so insular and not seeing his power at work in the world, because that's where he wants us to be. And uh, so through several dreams and leading me to scriptures that completely aligned with those dreams, um, he made it clear um, that he wants us to be in the race. And by the race, it might be we are called to government. It might be we are called to business. It might be we are called to education and academia. It might be we are called to the arts and entertainment industry. It might be we are called to media. It might be that we're called to serve our families even in a greater capacity than we do. My friends, we've already taken that religion sphere. We're, we're pretty good at that. But if we're all on the Titanic going down, we don't want to be stuck in the chapel praying prayers while the rest of the Titanic does not know our Savior. Amen. So this is not me being harsh to you. It's him burning in me. And some of you, 
Some of you, it might have been from the very youngest age, once you had Jesus in your heart, or maybe even before you knew him, that you had a dream planted in you, a kingdom seed planted in you for something that you are called to do. But we're very pragmatic, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not going against being methodical and understanding what you're supposed to do to look after you and your family but I'm saying that if God has planted a kingdom seed in you that you need to run a race, whatever it is, you need to stop shutting him out and start dropping on your knees. We need to be on our knees seeking Holy Spirit to show us who he's made us, what, what we're called to do. Because as we live that out, as we step each step in faith with his power, because I know the weakness that is in me, I know my flesh, but I know his power is greater in me and you and all of us. And as we start doing that, as we leave these walls to be powerful in his might out there, he is going to shine his light through us. And this city belongs to him and the people in this city he loves. And I will roar. I will roar at the fact that we do not go out there and judge them. Let our conversations be filled with grace and mercy and love. Stop holding signs in front of people and start having conversations with the Father's love for them. I'm sorry, my heart is broken for this city. And I know while we've talked about the the wave of morality, but as long as we have that mindset that they're against us, we're never going to meet them in love. You have to know that his love is so much stronger. His power is so much greater. And our own lack and our own fear is what stops us from meeting people in a place of, of just willing to receive and give and trust Holy Spirit to take on that whole thing for us. We talked about him scorning the cross and, and uh, losing, forgetting the cost of it. Not forgetting the cost, but, but absorbing the cost. My friends, cost might be taking on your new calling. It might be educating yourself, equipping yourself. It doesn't always have to be like death. I mean, yes, he's called us to live for him. Yeah. I believe he has greater things in store for this nation. I am praying that that line is drawn, that he puts a bloodline in so that things don't get so far that we are fine. If it happens, it happens. But I am saying this is my Canada, but really it's your Canada. And so I encourage you with all that is in with me, within me, to seek his face, let him be your head and let him start cleansing us. Holy Spirit's power. We're calling on him for reviving us. A revival is nothing if it doesn't reform the society we're part of. Yeah. So in that word, thank you for the space. Thank you for your ears. Those that have ears, let them hear and love our nation, love its people And let it be the love of God and not a fake put on love. Because only Holy Spirit can be that to us, through us, for this world. Amen. Amen.
Thanks, Elisa. You know, historically, every generation has had its spiritual men and women who've stood up and said, we will fight, we will do, give everything we can for the cause of Christ. And they've made change. They've made radical change in their societies all the time. And like Elisa said, it's always been in love. It's always been in grace. It's always been, uh, but sometimes it's been difficult and with a lot of opposition. Canada's no different. You know, Satan, through the media and godless rhetoric, intimidates the church, doesn't he? He intimidates us. And it intimidates us to relegate your affairs to Sunday, you know? Just keep it, keep it in the church. We don't care what you do in the church. Just don't bring it out here where we are. That's what the media does all the time. But I believe we need to get out of this building and change the world. That's our mandate. That's our call. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, invite and make disciples. He said, go and make disciples. Uh, we, but, but we have to recognize that we are the head, we're not the tail. We keep acting like we're the tail, you know? And the world is shaking and rattling, and we think, oh, we're getting flopped around. No, 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 we're the head. God has made us the head. God is, is the founder of Canada. God is the Lord of all the earth. God is supreme. And he has called us to be the head, and we need to take our position at the head, not the tail. Look what he, we read this in Ephesians not that long ago. Ephesians 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Through the church. That's our responsibility according to his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. You know, if we're supposed to make it known to the heavenly realms, surely we're supposed to make it known to Canada. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know that? We're, we're not struggling against Catherine Wynne or Justin Trudeau. That's, that's not who we're struggling against. We're not struggling against a, a particular party in government. We're struggling against the devil, and the devil has his pawns that he's moving around, that's who we're struggling against. Let's never forget that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where our battle is taking place. So we need prayer. I love the fact that, that uh, the, the prayer call in this church has a huge element of praying for our government. Praying in our national house of prayer, huge element of praying for justice and righteousness to be found in this country. As a church, it's our responsibility to remind our nation of our inheritance. Next time you're told that you, don't, you shouldn't share Christ with a student or a patient, or do not hesitate to remind everyone that this is a dominion under God. Satan is not the creator. That means that arts, technology, science... They don't belong to Satan. Oh, he's using them all for sure, but they don't belong to him. They belong to God. He's not the healer. Medicine belongs to God, not Satan. He's not just. The justice system doesn't belong to Satan. It belongs to God. He's not the author of wisdom and intelligence. So why do we abdicate the, the educational system over to him? It belongs to God. He's the wisdom 
only way he can, that Satan can gain access to these realms is when we as Christians, the church, advocate our role and, uh, uh, and forget that we are the stewards of righteousness in this country. We have a clear kingdom mandate from our Lord to bring what we have to this country. And we, need, we have a mandate to believe big for Canada. Amen? Amen. Teachers, nurses, doctors, politicians, counselors, don't cringe in fear. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that the world may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven and in this generation. I don't believe it's just the pastors and missionaries that will make the huge impact on the next generation. It's the Christians who will make that impact. Professionals who are already laying out their own lives that will make the difference in the next generation until we're ready to lay down our lives and lay down our jobs for the kingdom. Satan will continue to bully his way in the arts, sciences, medical fields, and justice departments. God is calling us to stand up in these areas and to take hold of the medical system for Jesus, to shake the political system for Jesus, to, shark the music, to, to shake the music world for Jesus, to shake the national economic scene for Jesus, to shake the legal system and all the places of influence. That's what God's call is for us. We have this cloud of witnesses, all those who've gone before, they're waiting for us to step up, take over. Only radical cross-believers will have a serious impact on the gates of hell. And we'll not be intimidated in this hour, will we? We will rise and we will fight for the soul of this nation. Those who've gone before us repeatedly sacrificed themselves for the, for the kingdom. This is what Ezekiel says. I look for a man among them who will build up the wall and stand in the, before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Oh, may that not be the case for Canada. May we as a church stand in the gap. Yesterday, uh, we were praying for, for Canada and we were reading through the Bible. So we read a third of the Bible uh, out in the parking lot around the church. Various people reading various pieces. I think it was a third of the Bible. Is that right? Okay, so, so anyways, we had a big chunk of the, the Bible. I read about seven or eight chapters myself. And out loud, declaring the promises of the Bible over Canada. But I was given a passage. It was very interesting. I was given the passage from Second uh, Kings into First Chronicles. Very, you know, okay, that's, what's that about? And it was very interesting. The passage I was given was about Josiah. Uh, Josiah, yeah. Josiah lived in a long line of wicked kings. His great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father, all wicked to the core. And the nation of Israel and, and was in absolute shambles. But Josiah received the crown at eight years old. Eight years old, he became king. And he followed the Lord. Well, how much power does an eight-year-old have? Well, not a whole lot. But his huge reform didn't happen until he, 18 years later, when he was 26 years old. 26 years old, and, he, and, and he, he gave an order to clean out the temple. And when they cleaned out the temple, they found the book of the law. And they had the book of the law read to the king. And the king was like, 
shocked what it said about the, the Baals and the Asherahs and the, the detestable gods of the Moloch and all these horrible things. And he realized they were everywhere in Israel, all over the place. And he tore his robes and he threw on sackcloth. And then he proclaimed uh, a fast and he, throughout the whole nation. And then he went around and he destroyed all the, the, the uh, altars all over the country. I mean, it goes on for two, like a chapter and a half. It goes on saying he went over here and destroyed this altar and he tore down this Asherah pole and he burnt up this and for hours and hours and hours. Something's happening. <laughs> and, and basically the whole country went from being in worse shape than Canada. You hear me? Because of one man. One 26-year-old man took what had been given to him at eight years old and used it for the kingdom of God and the country was changed and the Babylonians didn't invade Israel during his lifetime, which would have happened if this revival hadn't taken place. One man can make a huge difference. But we're not Israel. Well, what about when Israel was in captivity? When Israel was in, was, was in Babylon, and what happened there? Well, four men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they decided that they would stand true to their religious convictions, and they did. And that catapulted them into leadership of the country. Have you ever thought of that? That standing on your convictions might catapult you into leadership in your office, in your school, in your law practice, in your country, in your city? Oh, most of the time we think, oh no, if I stand up for my religious belief, people will mock me, they'll shame me, they'll ridicule me. I better hide that part and very quietly go in. Not necessarily. I mean, there's different ways to do it. But Daniel and his four friends stood up strong. What about Gideon? The angel of the Lord came to Gideon and called him a mighty man of war. <laughs> Gideon's like, who are you talking about? <laughs> I'm the least of my family, elite from the least tribe of the smallest group. I'm no mighty man of valor. Uh, Elijah, he said, hey, I'm the only man left. You know, he had just called down fire from, uh, from heaven on Mount Moriah that burned up a, a, an altar and a all that was on it. And he, he said, I'm the only one left. Why? Because Jezebel was, said that she was going to kill him. You know, it just takes one person. And God, God said to, to Elijah, no, 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 you're not the only one left. And you might feel like the only one left in your office. And you might feel like you're the only one left in wherever you're working or whatever you're doing. Or you might feel like, oh, I'm just part of this little tiny church called Eastgate, and we're completely surrounded by immorality and the world. Ah. But all these men had one thing in common. They believed in God. They believed in the power of God. You believe in the power of God? The power of God is what's going to change Canada. You're not going to change Canada. Sorry. It's only the power of God that can change Canada. Uh, David, 
you know, David, when he saw Goliath, he didn't see a huge giant. He didn't see thick armor. He didn't see a, a, a big, huge sword as big as a weaver's beam, they say. He didn't see those things. What did he see? He said he sees a, a, a uncircumcised heathen. That's all he saw, who was standing up and opposing God. That's all he saw. So, uh, somebody's in the way of God. Get, uh, get away. I'm going to take a little stone and a sling and knock this thing out of the way. That's all he saw. When we see these problems, they, they, oh, it's a terrible, huge giant. We're all alone. In the... Baloney. God's on your side. God's on our side. God, God wants Canada to be a holy nation. God wants to have dominion in this land. And he's calling us to pick up a couple of stones. It's not a big deal. Remember Jonathan, he told his armor bearer, God can save whether by many or by few. Let's go see what happens. If God wants to save us, he'll save us. If he doesn't, well, we'll just die. No big deal. <laughs> and off they went. Remember, the, remember who, who shook the whole Roman world? Twelve fishermen, mostly fishermen, right? <laughs> and yet they started a movement that has gone to take over the whole world. Twelve fishermen. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Did you get that? You don't have to be some great politician. You don't even have to be the best in your field. You just have to be dedicated to God and allow God to do the moving of the big stuff. And you just be obedient. Pick up five stones. Take 300 men against 150,000, like Gideon. I don't know, that's all you got to do. Just do what God tells you to do and just do it. You know, it's often been said, if God calls you to be a missionary or a pastor, don't stoop to being the president of the United States. That's true, absolutely true. But conversely, if God calls you to be the prime minister of Canada, don't become a pastor, okay? If God calls you to be a doctor and use your gifts for him in that field, don't become a missionary, Unless God calls you to be a missionary doctor, you know. But let's face it, God calls us to do things that are for his kingdom no matter what they are. The things that Lisa mentioned, religion, family, education, art, entertainment, media, government, business. They remind me of what Caleb said. When, they fought, when he finally got to, into the promised land. Remember, he, 40 years earlier, he was trying to get into the promised land, and there was this particular mountain that they surveyed, and they looked at it, and they said, oh, this is a good land. We should go in there. And finally, 45 years later, he comes back, and he says, hey, this is the same mountain I saw back 45 years ago. Am I am still strong? Let me, let me have this mountain. And Joshua gave that mountain as an inheritance to Caleb because of his bravery and his dedication to the Lord. And I believe that we need to take some mountains in our country for the Lord 
Mountains of government, education. You know, uh, this past week I was with my son and his friends, and we played this game with, with well, with pistols, actually. <laughs> we were shooting each other with airsoft pistols. And it, the game's called King of the Hill. And there's two guys on the top of the hill, and three guys are attacking the hill from the bottom trying to overtake the top. And I'm telling you, it was a lot more difficult than I thought. We had three, three against two, and you'd think that we would win. But just because of the elevation, it was difficult to go uphill to attack a fortified location. And that's kind of like what our calling is. That is the race that God is calling us to run in education and in, in commerce in all these different places. God is calling us to take those hills and to be champions for him, for the, for the kingdom of God. And so maybe, you know, I'm talking to all generations here, but particularly the next generation. You know, we often, you know, as parents, we often say to our kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a dumb question. As a Christian, we ought to say to our kids, what does God want you to be when you grow up? Right? Doesn't that make sense? Like, why wouldn't we say that? And why do we keep telling our kids, well, well you have to decide what you want to be? Why don't we tell our kids, well, why don't you ask God what you ought to be, right? And if God calls them to be a doctor or a missionary or a pastor or a politician or whatever, then let God decide those things. But I believe that we ought to, you know, and I'm guilty. I haven't done this with my kids. I kept telling you, you're free to do whatever you want. But kids, I'm asking, <laughs> what does God want you to, want you to be? Um, and so I want to ask all, all of us here today, Young people, particularly, have you asked God what his opinion is for the rest of your life? Have you asked him what occupation you should take so that you can be an influence in this ki- for his kingdom? That's a powerful, tough question. And maybe some of us in my generation need to jump ship out of our particular job and get into another job. I don't know. But what is God calling you to do? I want to end with this story. It's my second most favorite story in the Old Testament. My first is Gideon. My second is Elisha. You see, the king of Aram was, uh, was, was setting up ambushes to raid some Israelites. And every time he set up an ambush, the people of Israel always knew where it was, and they just went a different route. And he set an ambush over here, and then he sent an ambush over there, and they always knew. And finally, the, the king of Aram, he, he says to his captains, all right, who's the traitor? Somebody's a traitor here, because the Israelites know where we set up our ambush all the time. So who's the traitor? And, and, and one of the men said, ah, sorry, sir, uh, actually... There's no traitors here. It's just that there's this prophet in Israel named Elisha. And he says to the king of Israel what, what you say in your bedroom. He's a prophet. And the king of Aram said, okay, well, get me this man. I'm going to get rid of this guy. And so he sends out his whole army to where Elisha is staying and situated. And the whole army is coming down. And Elisha's servant gets up one morning and he looks out the windows. He's in this little tiny hamlet, right? And all of a sudden, there's like chariots and horses all around him, just surrounded. They're, they're completely surrounded. And, and, uh, and he cries out. Um, he cries out, oh, no, no, my Lord, what should we do, the servant says. And the prophet answered, oh, don't be afraid. 
Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, can you imagine this poor servant going like, dude, it's just you and me, man. <laughs> you know, like, there's hundreds and thousands out there. What are you talking about? And then Elijah prays, open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The enemy came down towards him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so the Lord struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road, this isn't the city. Follow me, I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them all the way to the capital of Samaria. Okay, this is, this is still in Israel at this time. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And then they're like, oh no, we're surrounded by the Israelite army now within the city. Uh, and the king of Israel saw them and he asked Elijah, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? And the king of Israel is excited. Wow, his, his enemy is now surrounded. And Elisha said, no, 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 no. Just, just feed them, let them go. And that's what happens. And the raiding bands stopped coming into Israel from that day forward. But what I want to point, I love this story because of the, the whole blindness and the seeing and opening the eyes and the blind, it's it's awesome story. But I don't have time to go into it all. But all I wanted to point out is that we might be led by blind leaders. That's okay. They don't know they're blind. They have no idea. You might feel surrounded by evil, by things going the wrong way, but you're not. This land is God's land. God is still sovereign over Canada. The mountains and hills of Canada still flow with power from Almighty. The chariots and horsemen of God Almighty are all around us. His angels, flaming torches are all about us. We're not outnumbered. We're not outgunned. We are the head. So let's act like it. Let's act like David and, and, and uh, Gideon and, and all these other guys I mentioned. Let's act like them. Because that's who we are. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would rise up your church to be the power you intended it to be. Lord, to do that, we, we need a few things. We need, first of all, to, to know that, to, to, that you would open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see where you're at work. Lord, help us to see your power. And Lord, we pray that you would shut the eyes of those who are against us. Lord, make them blind so they can't figure things out. And Lord, we pray that then the believers of this country would show kindness and love and grace as you give us the upper hand, as you give us authority and rule 
as we rule under your authority. And Lord, take this land back for the King of Kings and make it your land once again. So Lord, help us not to fight with this world's weapons, but with the weapons of the kingdom of God, spiritual weapons. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.